Uh, as, as I mentioned at the end of every pod, if you review the show, we might read it on the air. Here's a review from a real user on iTunes. DCC84762 says, Come for the insightful discussion of the latest TV. Stay to learn whether Quibi is dead yet. Libby? Good news, buddy. You're about to find out. Emergency pod. Millions of screens. Quibi is dead. It is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm computer producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV Awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. We reconvened. We actually recorded the podcast earlier and we yeah. reconvened because the news that Quibi is dead. Quibi is dead. We'll also be talking about Netflix and... It's really hard to say what this episode's going really to contain hard to say what, yeah, at it's this gonna, juncture. It's going to be it's gonna be kind of a wild ride. Uh, kind of a shit show. Kind of like Quibi itself. Um, so I don't want to take up any more time. And I want to throw to Libby. You have a microphone set up there uh, as if you... This is some kind of press conference. Is there a, is there a statement you'd like to I read would, us? Yes, I, I, have, I, I have prepared a statement. I want to thank both you gentlemen for joining me today. I know that 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 this was uh, last minute, and I appreciate um, both of you making time in your in your very busy schedules. Obviously, uh, the event the events of today were completely unforeseen. But yes, officially, I would like to be here. Uh, I have a statement um, that I would like to put on the record, and that is uh, Quibi is dead. Libby on Quibi, that dream is dead. Uh, but more importantly, I have put my nemesis in the ground and, uh, and I'm hoping for great things in the future. Now, uh, I do have time for a couple questions today. Anything? Uh, I, I have a question. Uh, have Leo, a question. Leo from IndieWire. My question is, uh, when we had our off, off pod predictions, you mm-hmm. predicted you were, you were the most bullish of us on Quibi, wow. perhaps because you, you really wanted your show to, to, to live, uh, you guessed December 2021 as the drop dead date. We are 14 months in advance of that date. Mm. Benjamin Travers had September 2021. He's a, he's 11 months short. Uh, mm. Myself, the Rube Man, somehow was closest. Uh, I said it would last a year. It did not make it that long. No. Why did? Why was your prediction? What did you? Why do you predict uh, December twenty twenty one? And do you feel a little foolish now? First of all, I reject the premise of that question, and uh, you you pose that question in the form of a lie. So mm. uh, I have the tapes. I can okay, uh, the, I can play the, the tapes. Were there <laughs> a tape that existed? I would say that um, I was trying to be nice uh, because what if Quibi wanted to advertise with the podcast? And I don't think it was polite to be like, it'll probably be done by October. Now, I know that that doesn't reflect very well on on, on my reputation. And, and honestly, uh, I don't care. And and to, and to uh, sort of play devil's advocate for yourself or to defend your choice, some mm-hmm. people would say that $1.75 billion should stretch a little longer than six to seven months. But that's just me. I might be alone in that thought. You know, uh, it, it depends on, on how quickly and efficiently your money laundering is going. Um, sometimes you run ahead of schedule and uh, you just have to close her down in, in time to uh, really get the full 10 days of the Quibi Hollywood 
superstore experience. What went wrong? Libby Ben, Libby Ben, what went wrong with Quibi? Well, I mean, again, this to start is really the only way to phrase this because uh, as I as I mentioned in our in our postmortem for Quibi on on the site, um, it felt like new reasons for Quibi's failure surfaced fairly regularly. Um, a lot of those reasons were apparent as mentioned from the inception, where it was a lot of questions of of how this would fit into the marketplace and how this would become something that was actually necessary enough to deserve uh, subscription dollars. Uh, But I'd say that for me, a lot of it just comes back to a fundamental misunderstanding of what uh, audiences, how audiences interact with programs in today's world. Like Libby pointed this out, I think uh, one of the first to point this out, I think, I don't know, she's still our foremost expert on Quippy as far as I'm concerned. So, um, but the, the very idea that you had to watch it on your phone and couldn't use it as a second screen experience, that all of the programming had to be something that you would like wholly devote yourself to, uh, whether you were <laughs> waiting for a bus or whatever they tried to say when you're out in the world and it was a mobile app, or if you were at home, um, that idea is is fundamentally flawed uh, because you are then not only competing against other programming, but you're competing against every other app that's on your phone. You're competing against text messages. Do you want to watch the Quibi show or do you want to talk to your friend? Like you shouldn't have to choose between those things. Uh, and you and that idea, I think again of it of them just misunderstanding how people consume content these days uh, is really what doomed Quibi across the board. I think that's true. And uh, as I mentioned to you guys before we started recording, like I was upset about this entire endeavor from the beginning uh, because of the fundamental misunderstanding. And it's not even misunderstanding. Just like uh, they just didn't care about the truth. Um, They just thought that if they threw enough money into this, that they could make it work. Um, But they didn't understand how the market worked. They didn't understand how people consume content. They didn't understand um, narrative. <laughs> they didn't understand story structure. Uh, they didn't understand like, like the the list goes on. Like and and then the more information that came out, especially after launch, uh, the more evident it was that that they did not understand what they were doing. So here's two people who've been very successful in their lives launching something, investing $1.75 billion into an endeavor that they didn't care enough about to research and figure out how to make it successful. Uh, And in this case, I think a successful Quibi is it not happening and investing that money literally anywhere else. and 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 they just didn't. The, 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 the hubris is just infuriating. Um, and it's it's just I don't know. This is about this is about uh, about to turn into uh, a rant about wealth inequality in the United States. So uh, Leo, why don't you? Oh, I, I why just don't you take over that for the, socialism corner. Uh, the the hubris continues even in the wake of its demise with the letter to investors from Katzenberg and Whitman stating that uh, there were one or two reasons for Quibi's failure. Uh, One maybe being that it wasn't strong enough to justify a standalone streaming service. 
And the second being that maybe launching in the middle of pandemic was particularly ill-timed. As I mentioned pre-pod, I don't think blaming the pandemic is the reason that Quibi failed. Two years ago before pandemic was a thing, most people would have told you, this is a stupid idea. This is a bad idea. Sorry, Jeffrey K. Sorry, Meg W. But this is always this was always going to be a bad idea. Uh, there were too many problems. There were just too many issues. This has been a punchline legitimately since since it began like uh people didn't know what it is they didn't know how to pronounce it they didn't know uh what it was short for they didn't understand anything about it and in every piece of information that came out the joke got bigger and less funny um and because at some point it's just tragic and it wasn't a pile-on it wasn't like this media hard on for hating quibi or rich people it was just insulting to see people think that they can buy their way into something and also i don't want it to get lost ben you mentioned the the point that you know you could only watch it on your phone you could only watch it on this app this week they finally got quibi on tv on 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 apple tv so uh good work your rollout worked just as you'd planned. Uh, put it on the phones first, and and then maybe TV eventually. I I don't I don't think that even saves it though. I don't think that saves I'm it. I'm so mad, and I. If it well, launches, no, I if it launches with TV capability, I don't think that saves Quibi. I don't think that saves it either. But I think what's important to to acknowledge when like about them making that move is that they were so adamant early on when Quibi was getting ready to launch that this was not like their direct competition wasn't Netflix. Their direct competition wasn't uh, the the rest of the streamers who are creating original programming. And by putting this on TV and on computers, to in, to some extent, they were admitting that, yes, they were the competition. And uh, they are the competition. But again, more, more importantly, um, to me, what, what Quibi misunderstood or refused to consider, however you want to look at it, um, was that they, they tried to make people absorb content on their own methods. Like they told them, this is the way you have to watch it. And that's the end of the story, as opposed to everybody else who is trying to make their stuff as accessible as possible and able to be viewed as in as many ways as possible um, in order to hopefully get, you know, an iota of your attention and thus hold on to it and then prove valuable. So like right now we're watching HBO Max and, and Peacock and everybody else have fights over just getting onto Roku. It's like, listen, we're available, like HBO programming is available on satellite. HBO is available uh, through your laptop. It's on your phone. It's got apps. It's on Apple TV. It's on like, it's trying to get on all of these things. And one of the biggest holdups for its, you know, quote unquote success is, is that a lot of the way people watch streaming is through Roku and it's not on Roku. And that's a huge problem for them right now. Quibi was saying, listen, we're on your phone. We're on the app and that's it. We're not going to try to expand to anything else. Uh, because uh, the technology that we have that we're using and the, the 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 length of the program and the style of the program is only applicable to this. We know that. You don't get to choose that for yourself. And again, that's where kind of the hubris and misunderstanding comes into play again. Well, let me, let me, I, cause, because this is something I don't think we've talked about before. Like, I think we would be remiss in not mentioning, like, I think that they were aiming at completely the wrong audience like it seems to me like 
the audience that really watches things on their phone that are constantly on TikTok and YouTube and and all of those platforms Snapchat. are Snapchat, the Snapchat, uh, are youths. And uh, no youths are going to watch Quibi. None of Quibi's programming was really for the youths. It was all like reboots of punked, which that's not... A 15-year-old doesn't know, number one, that's a reboot, and number two, what punked is. Uh, so much of its programming was clearly aimed at people like our age, so, you know, olds. Um, and we just don't consume content on our phone the same way. Like, we'll do dual screen, we'll do tri-screen experiences, but if I'm on my phone, it's not to watch something. I'm watching something on my TV, I'm watching something on my laptop, I'm not watching it on my phone. That doesn't make any sense because I'd have to hold my phone. I mean, the, 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 the general premise is wrong and not to like beat this dead horse, but if you're targeting com like commuters who are all taking the train into work, what do they do? They're reading email, answering text messages, and listening to podcasts. Because you can do those two things at once. That's why Spotify is in an amazing spot. They have like the consumer's ear on the commute. No one is going to sit on the commute passively and spend 10 minutes watching Liam Hemsworth in The Fugitive or whatever the fuck show he was on. That was I don't even the most know. dangerous game. You can see other platforms adapting to the idea that Quibi was trying to focus on. Yeah. Because Netflix encourages you with the way that it saves wherever you stop watching. And so many of them do this now, like wherever it kind of just automatically bookmarks if you lose your connection or stop your feed. It encourages you to watch things on your own terms. It's not saying you have to watch a whole episode at a, at a given time. And it's slowly adapted to that, you know, as people started to watch things in different ways and you know, at different times and in, and in different places. Um, so again, like Quibi trying to say that, you know, these episodes are made for that moment when you're on the train to watch them just feels foolish. And it feels like even the people who do enjoy watching stuff at the, that time, even if they do want to watch a video on their way to work, again, you're competing with more than just whatever you they thought they were competing against. You are competing against the biggest blockbuster movies because some people do, if you want to watch something on your phone, some people just want to watch that on their phone. That's the time they have to do it. Maybe that's just the best screen they have to do it. Maybe it's, you know, that they, they have to listen with their headphones in so they're going to watch it on their phone no matter what. Like, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways that that's going to happen and kind of the refusal to acknowledge that they need to be accessible in an age when accessibility is the key to the kingdom. Uh, that was mind-boggling to me. Honestly, if I'm Quibi and I'm in development and I hear that Netflix now allows you to download episodes to like your accounts, you can watch when you're offline, that's done. I, I, I pull the plug because how do you, you yeah. can't compete with that and you won't compete with that. And um and yeah, who are these investors? Who are these investors that oh, do you want to know? Quibi and you're like, yeah, I, please. I have, I actually, uh, a coworker of mine who subscribes to the information sent me, there's a, uh, but uh, I have the investors of Quibius earliest rounds. The big ones, I'm not sure. They're just like random part, like capital groups, like probably venture capital group, groups. Madrone Capital spent $200 million in the earlier rounds. Winder Co. spent 100 million. Alibaba spent 100 million. Greensprint spent 57. Goldman Sachs spent 50 million. JP Morgan 50 mi million. Google 50 million. Uh, 
Disney spent 25 million, Fox spent 25 million, Time Warner spent 25 million, NBCU spent 25 million. Meg Whitman put 10.5 million of her own money into the earlier rounds of Quibi. Uh, Jeffrey Katzberg put 5.5 million of his own money. Yeah, th- those are the big ones. Lionsgate put 5 million in. I mean, there's a lot of people on this list. Uh, there's only three people that put over 100 million that er- in the early rounds, it says. So I assume this is only part of the money that was raised. But yeah. And if you're a studio or a produce uh, a production company, like, yeah, you throw Jeff Katzenberg $5 million because you want to work with him again in the future. You know, yeah. you're like, take this pittance and yeah, the, uh, yeah maybe. In, in, like in the 25 to 5 million range, there's a, yeah, Disney, Fox, Time Warner, NBCU, Viacom, Sony, MGM, uh, Lionsgate. Like there's just a bunch of uh, production companies there in the hopes right. of, if this thing does take off, you you have an in to be like, let's make more stuff for this thing. Yeah, kind of shoring up your position. Yeah. Well, again, it, it's also worth mentioning that, you know, a lot of those companies that created programming for Quibi and were invested in Quibi that way, um, they're going to have their programs. Like Quibi doesn't own them outright. So it's not like all of the Quibi programs are going to kind of go the way the CISO programs, a lot of the CISO programs did. Um, there was a story almost immediately after uh, the the news was announced that the worst Quibi show I saw, the most dangerous game starring Liam Hemsworth, uh, was already being trying to be repackaged and sold to CBS for something or other. And oh, because, the Quibi, because the Quibi only had, you know, two-year exclusivity on these deals, and because the way that a lot of them decided to shoot and build and construct them uh, so that they could be reconstructed for different formats, whether it's like a 20-minute or a half an hour or a 60-minute or a 44-minute, you know, kind of broadcast-friendly thing. Um, you know, there's there's ways for them to continue to become profitable off of these things. Uh, there's ways for, you know, whatever the good shows that ended up being on Quibi <laughs> were, whatever somebody's favorite, if there's, if there's enough momentum behind it to repackage it and, and give it somewhere else cheap, especially right now when people are demanding content, and there's not as much production as there used to be. Maybe that happens. Um, but again, like it's it's. I feel like the people who who the producers who decided to make something were all much smarter about going into this than like Quibi itself uh, in understanding what the opportunity was. I think we talked before. I don't fault any of the people who took Quibi's money to make things. Oh no. And I I think no. I think to Ben's point, anyone who was smart about Anyone who knew what the thing they were uh, making something for, probably they were simultaneously thinking, how does this live as a 42-minute pilot for CBS? How does this live as a 22-minute proof of concept for uh, Netflix or or, or something else? Like, I think there's going to be a bunch of IP that washes out of this thing uh, that ends up other places, even if it's not the actual stuff that was shot for Quibi. IP is the most valuable thing you can have right now. So even if it's just, it just existed on Quibi, you have a tape, you have a reel, you have something that that existed in concept and no one it can blame you if it failed because no one got canceled, the network got canceled. That's different. That's not a reflection on your worth whatsoever. God, what a bad idea. Uh, just My former coworker just also let me know that the, the the second highest investor, Winder Co., is Jeffrey Katzenberg's uh, capital group. So he, 
he had them put a hundred million in, in addition to his five point five million, uh, for the earliest rounds of Quibi. Yeah, Quibi is dead. Uh, I think we all saw it coming. This is far sooner than I think we expected, but it's no surprise uh, to anyone on this podcast. One point seven five billion. Well spent. Just to just to get this out of the way from a from a broader picture standpoint, uh, no one no one thinks that this is a like the first warning sign of a streaming bubble pop. This is a Quibi specific problem, a Quibi specific ending, and there's no means to be no need to be worried about other streaming services for creating original content at the moment because of what happened to Quibi. No. Yeah, I would like everyone to I'd like there to be a moratorium about the state of TV, peak TV, the TV bubble, the streaming bubble, like this is no indicator. This is indi- this is an indicator of what it's always been an indicator of, which is it was a bad idea, and they just saw it through to the end to its natural, to its natural ending place. Um, it was never TV. Uh, I can say that with more authority than uh, a lot of things that I watch on television. Uh, Quibi was never was never that, and it. It, they said it themselves. They weren't competing with Netflix, so their demise should have no reflection on on things like Netflix or or Hulu or even like Shutter. And I and this is also coming. I don't. I, time has no meaning to me anymore. But uh, I think less than a week after Disney announced that all of its focus would be steered toward you know streaming content for toward Disney Plus toward. We're going to go with whatever is the most, like whatever the audience wants us to, to have and to give them, we're going to give it to them that way. Uh, we're no longer a theater first company. Uh, so like, again, like this is, uh, to me, this is just a quibby problem and uh, everybody else has their own uh, pluses and minuses to deal with on a much easier level. I think we're going to talk about this in a minute, but I think all the other streamers are just in a, in a slight lull due to inevitable due to the pandemic this was never and i think i I mentioned it earlier i might have been the most angry about it (laughs) quibi quibi's demise has absolutely nothing to do with the coronavirus pandemic maybe it accelerated it perhaps but this thing was doa and i think we all thought that and we were just being kind when we when we pod potted about it back in uh, April, and we were pretty mean, and we were mean, but when we were being kind, uh, so yeah, ne- Netflix is w- like wave of cancellations, though troubling due to the content that's being canceled, has m- more to do with the pandemic than anything else, uh, and it's that's going to pick up once everything starts to return to normal. Uh, skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. <laughs> There's a lot of Netflix news to get into here. I mentioned this earlier and you kind of waved it off, but Netflix missed its Q3 subscriber uh, goals and net earnings forecast. But you mentioned that it had a boon in Q2. And so it's just the right regular ebb and flow of Netflix business. I wouldn't and say it's I'm the regular moron. ebb and flow, but I think it's a, it's a natural um, reflection of 2020. Um, 
I imagine that they saw an influx in subscribers when much of the country and, and the globe, I guess, went into lockdown. And then um, I have to imagine that flattens out a little bit. And so maybe they just got their subscribers earlier than they were expecting. But, you know, also um, other parts of the civilized world have um, gotten the coronavirus under control. So inevitably, maybe some of those people are canceling their Netflix uh, subscriptions. Who can say? But yes. yeah, it, 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 I don't know. There were not cancellations when it came to Netflix subscribers. They just didn't grow as much as they thought they were, go- were going to. Um, and thirdly, I believe last quarter when they saw an unexpected growth, that was also because they cited the fact that they thought they were not going to do as well as they had when the when the pandemic first started. So when they first saw a, a kind of boon at the end of the first quarter, they thought that you know that would that would taper off faster than it did. It didn't, so they had you know uh, inflated figures during the second quarter, and then the third quarter was where it finally came back around. Um, so to me, that's why it, it's kind of like the the subscriber portion of it is is not necessarily uh, massive news today, but it is uh, you know still something to consider as the streaming wars wage on. Other Netflix news: Sunita Mani revealed that a letter that her and five of her Glow co-stars had apparently sent to producers prior to the show's cancellation where they were asking for more diversity inclusion inside the writer's room based on the, on the storylines that were being written for them. What, why was she sharing it, Ben? Talk, tell me why. Oh, well, I think she was, I think she, I think she was sharing it to, to kind of tout the, um, the, the growth and the, the, the family element of the show and, and kind of show that, um, you know, these are the kind of, this is, a, this is a way in which you can have the, this discussion and be productive uh, this is uh, a way in which, you know, uh, actors can talk to their producers, talk to their showrunners, talk to their writers, interact with them uh, to try to, you know, create a better atmosphere and, and to push things forward in a productive way. Um, again, like the, the the timing of it is unfortunate because now we know we'll never see that version of Glow. Um, it's also, you know, worth noting, though, I don't know what this means. It's worth noting that they did send that letter and make those requests after production had shut down. So this was something that happened during the production shutdown and before the cancellation. Um, Whether or not that had any impact on Netflix's decision seems irrelevant. That's not what they're bringing this up for. That's not why they seem to mention this now. It just seemed to be a, a, a note moving forward and a way to kind of have a better goodbye for the characters than they were provided. So, um, Again, it was it was very encouraging to see them do this. It's extremely encouraging to hear how well it was received, as well as uh, just the, the the general fact that the people we were rooting for within this show already uh, were still fighting to move forward. Like, it, I think it would have been easy to kind of rest on the laurels of what Glow had already done, and instead they were like, "No, no, no, we are going to live the the version of reality that we're painting in the show and and try to keep." progressing and moving forward and listening to the people we're supposed to be listening to. Um, so yeah, it just really sucks. Glow's gone. That's, um, it's a bummer. Well, this next point relates to that, which is, uh, Netflix canceled away the Hillary, uh, Swank led space drama, uh, after its first season. And it's the latest in a, in a spate of, uh, cancellations that seem to mostly target, projects where there's a female lead uh, 
or a BIPOC lead, uh, notable amongst those Patriot Act, uh, Teenage Bounty Hunters, uh, any other, I mean, Glow, obviously. Um, amongst those that aren't those, the Big Show show has also been canceled. <laughs> great, great, great drop there. Good, good flag. The Big uh, Show show is gone. But yeah, I, I am not okay with this. I mean, uh, Libby, I don't know if you want to speak to this first, but like, what is, we talked a little bit about the Glow cancellation a couple of weeks ago, but what does this say about the industry? Is this a Netflix only problem? Is this coincidence or is this, or is this legitimately an issue um, in terms of the shows that are being targeted for cancellation? It's definitely everything uh, as so many things are um, for, for, for one thing of a, a, a spate of cancellations um, of series, especially after the kind of year that the industry has seen, um, with production shutdowns and things like that. That's not surprising. Uh, that, that, that seems like a natural I- extension of, um, of what we've seen thus far. What is interesting to me is, is in these cancellations, um, number one, the amount of shows that were already renewed for another season that were then retroactively canceled, um, often citing production costs and difficulties um, involving maintaining like uh, COVID safe workplaces, which I imagine would be more difficult on a show like, let's say Glow, where they are in close contact, but at the same time, you know, the NBA just had an entire season in a bubble. So with no positive tests. So your mileage may vary. Yeah. Uh, then within that, there is, there is this, um, this what appears to be disturbing trend that there does seem to be a disproportionate amount of um of of shows with uh underrepresented leads being um being excised and that's frustrating because to a certain extent it feels like oh well this is a perfect opportunity to cut back on these shows and be like, well, we tried it and didn't work out. It didn't have the numbers. Um, Let's just lump it in with our COVID cancellations. Let's just cut all of this supposed dead weight. And I don't blame networks for trying to um, look out for the bottom line, especially as since we started this podcast episode talking about Netflix's uh, Q3 numbers, um, you know, I get that they have, they have investors they have to respond to. And, um, but I also don't think a show like Glow, that's really adding or taking away from their bottom line. But it's frustrating. It's frustrating to see because it, it did feel a little bit like we were making some progress. We've seen some great shows out there that haven't been canceled, like HBO's um, uh, I May Destroy You, shows like that. But it's, it's, um, it's a concerning trend. I have seen... I know that Rolling Stone TV critic Alan Sepinwall uh, wrote a piece last week about how um, it does seem to be dis- disproportionately affecting um, shows with marginalized leads, but he theorized that this was going to be a continuing trend, at which point like, it would affect all shows across the board. Like, just There would be a, a, a shrinkage within the industry itself. Um, I don't know if I believe that. 
uh, TV, if nothing else, is very innovative. It isn't dependent on a movie theater model where in order to consume the product, you have to go out into the world and and expose yourself. Um, expose yourself to... Uh, <laughs> Save it for uh, talking tubing! <laughs> uh, you don't have to go out to movie theaters and, and risk exposure to disease in order to consume television. Um, it's much easier just to sit at home and do that. If individual shows set up bubbles, which I'm, I'm, which I'm almost certain shows like uh, The Handmaid's Tale up in Canada is going to do. We just announced a new Mike White uh, creative enlightened project. They're doing a six episode limited series. They're filming in Hawaii, which has very stringent um, COVID protections in place right now. They have, to, I, they're almost certainly creating their own bubble to make television. TV will adapt. It does adapt. Um, this, 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 this is not the end of peak TV. This is not the end of quality TV. Um, it is, if nothing else, an excuse to get rid of those shows that networks wanted to get rid of anyway. But you're also saying that it's not the end of quote unquote inclusive television either. It's just this is a weird moment, and that I mean, I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't mention like Netflix is not the only. I think you talked about it's the only network doing such things like Stumptown, which was originally right. renewed, was then canceled. Same with I'm Sorry uh, on True TV. So like all there are this is happening at various sure. uh networks and, and streamers but uh it is it is unfortunate i think i do think that part of that is once you have a show up and running generally it's considered less expensive to keep it running um than it is in its first season however if you have to take into consideration changed covid um changed covid protocol um, that may increase costs to an extent where your margins flip and it's not profitable enough to keep the show around. That's possible. All right. At this point, I'm not ready to be like, this is all a masterminded move. I think it's just no one knows what's coming. No one knows what's happening right now. So everyone's hedging. Um, I think, and I hope the picture in six months will be clearer. But right now, it's it's not great and I don't love it. Well, one of the interesting things to me about... Um the Netflix decisions in particular and away is a great example is kind of looking at it from what we, what little we know about the success and failure of those shows. Uh, away was a show that uh, was regularly in the top 10 for weeks after it came out by Netflix's own reported stance. And um, that given again, considering that it's the a first season of a show uh, as well as one that has a considerable star at the front of it, you would think would give it enough credence to get a second season renewal because it, it appears to be a successful show. And I think that there's obviously many factors as Libby already mentioned to consider, but it's still a good reminder to take, take those Netflix top 10 lists with a bit of a, with a grain of salt, because we don't know how much they actually watched. Like if, if, if people sampled it and stopped and Netflix knows that, then that's an incentive for them to not renew the show. This was not a show that was renewed and then canceled. This was a show that was just straight out canceled. Um, the fact that, uh, yeah, like let me mention that showrunners are saying the added cost per episode is somewhere near $500,000 or more per episode, uh, to, to include those safety protocols. Now, if you've got an expensive show, which I have to believe Away was in many respects, then that could easily be a tipping point as well. So like, there's, there's plenty of reasons why 
you know, from a strict business sense that this happened. Um, another thing that's interesting to me about Netflix, though, is they still they're the they're the the people who started this, and they still subscribe to the all at once season release model. So the idea of waiting may not be as acceptable to them. They may not be willing if something came out in June of 2019 to wait until they can shoot it and release it all at once again, three years later, they may not, whatever metrics they have, whatever their algorithm says, whatever they know about the show's, you know, viewership habits, they may not believe people will stick around long enough to do that. And a first to a second season is also something that's, you know, that you usually need to follow up rather quickly on to just make sure people are aware, like maintain their awareness of it and maintain engagement with the show, which for something like Stumptown could have been a problem, which is something that from becoming a god in Central Florida could have been a problem for. Um, but it is still, it is still so painful to look at Showtime canceling on becoming a god one day and then picking up a a limited series revival of Dexter the next day. And you're just staring at it and you're like, you've got one of the greatest actors of all time in a new show that was critically acclaimed. And you've got um, a show that I think almost universally was considered beaten to death. Like just, just beating a dead horse for three to four seasons before it said goodbye. And it's coming back. Like it's it, it, like the optics of it look terrible even if you, when you look past it and you're just like, okay, but Dexter was a very successful show for Showtime, so like they want to bank on that and have that kind of excitement again, I guess maybe that's something that, that you can you can see from an objective standpoint as being an, an, a reasonable decision, but it's just, it is just troubling right now to, to wrestle with it from just a, a perspective of I want the best TV. Like, give me more of the good TV. Why are you giving me more of the bad TV? Um, so, I didn't know you hated Lumberjack so much, but whatever. I mean, I think I watched all of Dexter. Look at me. What's wrong with me? I think I might have watched it all. Oh, a lot of people had to finish it. A lot of people. Once you get that far in, yeah, I think I got to just see how it how it ramps. I definitely remember hate watching the last two or three seasons. Um, oh, yeah. Eight seasons. Though. That's it. That show should have been three seasons. The minute you Hannibal killed... and Dexter should have swapped. <laughs> but stayed on NBC and Showtime, respectively. Eight seasons? Now I'm thinking about that. Like, maybe, like... Eight seasons in a limited series. That's the new <laughs> what if I... That's the dream. Uh, like, what if I did... What if we swapped Hannibal and and Dexter's whatever. Like, I think both shows are improved. Uh, well, you're kind of going against your point from last week, but you're you're saying that there would still be some limitations on Hannibal. Say you switch their their length. You keep Hannibal on NBC for 8 seasons, but it's running at let's say you cut down the order so it's like 8 episodes per season. Mhm. So then you took Dexter uh Dexter stays on Showtime, but it it also it's very like eight episodes per season, three seasons you're in, and then you're out. I I I think that probably works better for both. That's probably a good trade. What do we have? It's pandemic. Like I don't know. Like I, these are the it? games we have. These are the Can theories we, do it? we have. Let's go. I yeah, mean, there I mean, must be. You just put it. You just put it out into the universe. So there must now be. This is the way I think. 
there must not be an alternate dimension where that did occur. Yeah. The quarks and are are string theorying it up, and there is I now have, uh... there is now an alternate dimension where Dexter got three seasons on Showtime and ended sat in a satisfactory manner. And people will be clamoring for a fourth season of Dexter. They're like, let's wrap up some of these storylines in a limited series. All I can think about right now is Matthew McConaughey floating behind a bookshelf, knocking something off for his daughter to find. Like, I don't, and I don't really remember what it means or if that even really applies to what Leo's talking about, but that's what's playing in my head. No, for that, Ben, you'd have to go, you'd have to fly close enough to a black hole to enter a fourth dimension. And that's different. That's different. That's, that's sounds cool though. That anyway, cool anyway, anyway. I don't have to listen to this because everyone hates space. Yeah, we all hate um, space, and that's why Away got canceled. Uh, Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation. NDY, our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video of York talking about TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is Ann Donahue. Our favorite 2020 winner awards contenders are Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. And I may destroy you. The Millions of Screens TV Awards endorsement is Dickinson? It had a question mark. It had a question mark. I read it. I read it like there was a question mark. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens at Midwest Spitfire at Ben T. Travers and at Leo Agent Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So leave a review like DCC847262 and we might read it on the air. Definitely doesn't sound like a bot. So many numbers. Yeah, like I I just, I was like, that's just a Russian misinformation bot. Don't you ever go grab a couple of drinks with your good buds, DCC847262 and. (laughs) R M M two four seven two one. Like that's just those are how my friends are named. Well, Quibi is dead. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo. Reminding you that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs>